1: We think of Joseph, we think of a man who just held on to God, who didn't let go, who went his entire life journey with God.
2: That is Pastor Michael Oxentenco. We will be underway with today's Reaching Your Heart in just a minute or two. Today's broadcast is entitled Joseph's Father. That's Joseph's Father. And remember, all of these messages can be found online at reachingyourheart.com. Thank you so much for listening today. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at reachinghearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko.
1: Father, we are so grateful today that we can worship in the church, that we can know you by faith, we can be saved by an awesome grace, and we can love and be loved, and we can grow. We're grateful that your care starts at the beginning of the journey, not the end of the journey, that righteousness by faith is faith in you with a weak kind of faith at first, but that grows so father help us to learn the lessons of joseph's father today as christian men of god may we apply those lessons in our lives for our children's sake and our wives and our families and our church in jesus name amen james whitcomb riley once wrote a poem that carries the title a good man gentlemen how many of you want to be a good man full of virtue raise your hand high with firm conviction i'm in that club And it goes like this, a good man never dies in worthy deed and prayer and helpful hands and honest eyes. If smiles or tears be there, who lives for you and me, lives for the world he tries, to help he lives eternally, a good man never dies. Who lives to bravely take his share of toil and stress. And for his weaker fellow's sake makes every burden less. He may at last seem worn like fallen hands and eyes. Folded yet though we mourn and mourn a good man never dies. Oh may God make us good men in the church. We are living in a time in our church's history. When there is a profound need for men of God. To be modeled, to grow up, to stand in the gap, to show Christian strength on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ. Now I know there are all kinds of voices that say men ought to be this and that. And look, there's a spectrum as to what it means to be a man. I realize that. I am high on the sensitivity scale. Any men high on the sensitivity scale? High on the empathy scale? you know? But I'm telling you right now, we need men also who are high on the masculine scale who will be men unabashedly, who will not compromise the strength that God has given them for the good of others and the good of the church. Now, Jacob started his journey. He didn't start his journey high on the masculine scale. He started his journey high the other way. And God worked with him to develop in him like he had Abraham the qualities of strength that would define Israel for all time. Joseph stands as Jacob's son, right alongside the greatest men in the Bible, like Enoch, Daniel, Samuel, as one of the greatest examples of a good man who suffered unjustly because of his very bad brothers. I mean, this story is archetypical. Philosophers have wrapped themselves around it. Great thinkers have looked at this. I mean, there's profound stuff. Jordan Peterson has a series on the book of Genesis online and YouTube. Not a professing Christian exactly, someone who dabbles with it philosophically, but he's enamored with the story of Joseph and Abraham and Isaac because these stories speak to us today in our time they speak to us before the time of the end Joseph was consistently a righteous man his whole life would that all our children were smitten with this righteous malady Joseph sought virtue because Joseph sought God in his life. Joseph found virtue because Joseph dug deep for God in his life through prayer and suffering to hold on to God. When we think of Joseph, we think of a man who just held on to God, who didn't let go, who went his entire life journey with God. And after as many years in prison, Pharaoh renamed Joseph. You see, his character was defined by his victories. And in the Bible, when you're renamed, it means that you've become someone special. And the name bears witness to the truth. Zephanath Paniah. It's hard for me to pronounce. It's a tongue-tire. Let's say it. Zephanath Paniah. Try it. So you can't do it well either. Now, Joseph's new name is very similar to the Hebrew name Zephaniah. That means the Lord hides or the Lord hides you. Thus it is implied in Joseph's new name also that he was the hidden of the Lord because God was with him in jail. God hid him away, so to speak, protected him, though his life was hard. Jailhouse Joe was hid away with jailhouse God in the prison of the roundhouse that was a temple of sorts, a holy house for Joseph as he grew in faith to know God more profoundly. But there are also other roots in Joseph's name that gives us more color to see the character of the man. This new name says a lot. Joseph's name has three core Hebrew roots. Hebrew root number one, to hide. Hebrew root number two, to rest. Hebrew root number three, to shine and be beautiful. You put those together and that is Joseph's new name. The Hebrew roots describe the character of the man who was hidden of the Lord, who rested in the Lord, who learned to shine and be beautiful for the Lord. That's what his name means. There is so much in that name, Zephaniah, that we have a tongue tire with. And it's a well-deserving name for the man who suffered and who developed virtue because he was hidden in the prison of the roundhouse, the circle of the mundane that became a holy temple with God in it. He grew in God in that hidden place. It was not in vain that Joseph was hidden there by God and with God. Some people say, well, when things like that happen in my life, it's just a bunch of vanity. How on earth could God allow these awful things to happen to me? And you look at Joseph's life. His life was hard. His life was awful. God was with him in that experience, bringing him to a finality that would make sense in the end. Now, we've been told when we get to heaven by the servant of the Lord, that we would not have changed our life course once we get there because we will see the hand of God leading us, caring for us, directing our path to glory. Don't see it now, but we'll see it later. So to hide in the Lord, to rest in the Lord, to shine and be beautiful in the Lord is only possible if you are locked away in the secret place with God Almighty. May we go to the secret place of prayer every day. Mighty men of God are mighty only because they know and love a merciful and kind almighty God. Joseph learned in his prison cell to know God better. And in the same way, God sends circumstances into your life and mine, just like Joseph, so we will learn by adversity to know God better. Prayer meeting talk a couple of weeks ago talked about the worthy part of suffering. How suffering matters. Suffering grows. You know, it was funny. I was having a bad day, bad week. I tapped in online to the prayer meeting talk. And I grew in my understanding to know that we need suffering in our lives. We need challenges like Joseph had. Or we will never realize the character that God wants us to have. We will never come closer to God unless we go through that stuff. Joseph learned in prison the lessons of faith. Social scientists tell us that the fourth generation in our church, that's our denomination, tends to leave the church. Did you know that? If you're a fourth generation, seventh-day Adventist, the stats are there's a revolving door. There's a book called Seventh-day Adventism and the American Dream written by some English sociologist, and I read that book very carefully. Seventh-day Adventists, fourth generation, tend to leave the church... Because they tend not to recapture that which brought the previous generations into the church, kept them faithful and the like. Now, I take note of that because our children are fourth generation. The challenges are there. Friend, Joseph was the fourth generation believer, but he didn't leave God. He broke the model, so to speak. He took God with him when his brothers sent him far away to die. Joseph had a father. We sometimes don't think of the impact of Joseph's father on Joseph. But he had a father, and his father's first name was Jacob before he was named Israel, the name that has defined him for all time. Jacob is a name in Hebrew that comes from the Hebrew word heel. Jacob was named the heel. Can you imagine naming your son the heel? You have any Jacobs around here? We're not picking on you, by the way. Because most people don't know what the name Jacob means. But they knew what it meant back then when they named him the heel. Jacob's name implies dishonesty as one who supplants another or one who follows at the heel ready to take over another and use him or her to his advantage. Joseph's father had a father and a grandfather who were amazing men and good men also. They were men of God full of faith. He came from good stock. He is not exactly like them early on. His grandfather was Abraham, the first prophet and the first friend of God in Scripture since the flood. God's word breaks into human history with Abraham. Abraham persevered in his journey of faith in hard times and good times to know God. He grew, he grew in. In fact, his name Abram has a feminine quality in Hebrew, but he's renamed Abraham, the father of many nations or the father with a great roar of nations. He grows into being a strong father figure. He's not that at first. Like Joseph, he went down to Egypt. Unlike Joseph, he left Egypt and returned a free man. God promised Abraham that he would make him the father of a multitudes of people and nations, that in him all the nations and peoples of the earth would be blessed. We are blessed today in church because Abraham was a faithful father in his time. Isaac was Jacob's father. And Isaac was also the son of Abraham. He was the miracle child that came to Abraham when he was 100 years old. Imagine starting out as a daddy at 100 years old. I mean, we're ready to ship people off to the old folks' home and that kind of thing. But, you know, if you hit 100 years of age, you're just starting over if you're falling in the direction of Abraham. So strike for 100 and then think about how you're going to live another lifetime. He remarried after 100. He had a future existence. Do you give up at 65, 70, 80? No, you keep going on. You make a difference for God. Isaac was the son that God had promised Abram when it looked impossible for him to have a son. Isaac was the good boy, the good son who loved God. He was a loyal son to his father and his God. Isaac willingly went to the altar to die at the command of God. God tested Abram abraham and said take your son your only son isaac whom you love and go to the place that i will show you and offer him up there as a burnt offering on that mountain i mean amazing call prophet hears the voice of god his son isaac not a prophet as such at that time but he knows his daddy knows god he knows that something special is going on he follows as the loyal obedient son he willingly goes up to the altar to die at the command of God because he loved God more than he loved his own life, more than he loved his father. He loved God. Friends, Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ. You know, we read John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave in Greek, monogone, his unique, his only, one-of-a-kind son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's coming from the Greek Septuagint of the Old Testament translation of the Hebrew. The word monogane, unique, is only used of Isaac. Isaac is a type of Christ who willingly went to the altar as the good son. Isaac is famous for redigging the wells of his father, and digging his own wells, and having good harvests also. Running water in the Hebrew language is literally living water. Chayim mayim. Isaac's life testifies that you have to dig for living water. It doesn't just pop out of the ground for you. If you want living water in your life, you dig those wells and you keep digging all your life. Jacob was the third generation from Abraham and he was Joseph's father. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael from Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian maid. Hagar's name means the sojourner, the stranger. And Isaac from Sarah, his wife, Sarah means princess. And then six more after Sarah died with Keturah, his second wife. Not a lot is said of Keturah, but the ancient rabbis connected the dots, as I have also. And I believe that they are correct. They believe that Keturah was Hagar. Hagar brought back to be his second wife. He had six more sons with Keturah, who was most likely Hagar renamed. Keturah's name means incense because she became a woman of prayer in her sojourn in the wilderness. You read the story of Hagar, she's in touch with God more than anybody else in that timeline. The angel of the Lord is really speaking to her. She has issues, but the evidence is that her life becomes a transformed life. And if you follow the footsteps of Isaac, he retraces the places where Hagar was camping out after she was sent away. It's almost as if he's showing up after the death of his mother to check in on his second mother, who would have been Hagar. Like Abraham and Sarah, Isaac had two sons. He had Esau and then Jacob. Esau was the firstborn. And by natural right, he should have been the father of the holy line that leads to Jesus. But scripture tells us Esau was an immoral man who spurned his birthright. And so even though Jacob lied to steal it from Esau, God allowed the blessing of Abraham to move from Isaac to Jacob because Jacob wanted it and Isaac really didn't want it. Jacob wanted it. He wanted to secure it. His mother said, well, we're going to work with God to make sure this thing happens. We're going to lie and figure out a trick. You're going to get this thing. I'm your mom. Boy, we love our mothers, but don't go that way, ladies. In the night of his lie, Jacob fled for his life to the house of Laban, his relative to the east in Haran. I mean his life is turned upside down. When he goes before his father, he feigns that he is Esau. He said, Who are you? I'm Esau and he puts his arm out there, all of that woolly stuff that he put over his arm to look like he's his brother, had lots of hair. He said, Boy, you know, this feels like my son Esau, but it sounds like it's the voice of Jacob.
2: Let's continue now with Pastor Michael oxen Tenko in today's Reaching Your Heart.
1: Jacob had two wives because his father-in-law Laban lied to him, just like Jacob lied to Esau to steal the birthright. I mean, he gets into trouble because he's a liar, and now he has to live for 14 more years with a father-in-law who's a liar. The Bible says Rachel had beautiful eyes, and Leah, well... Leah, she just had eyes. Her father named Leah, the Hebrew word, wild cow. Can you imagine naming your daughter a wild cow? Rachel's name was Ewe, which is a female sheep, most likely a lamb, beautiful and graceful. You see the contrast between the two? He ended up marrying them both, the wild cow and the Yew. Laban tricked Jacob into marrying Leah after the wedding. He went into the tent Jacob did, and he loved Leah on his wedding night because he thought she was Rachel only to discover that she was not Rachel. He'd worked seven years for that night, and it was a nightmare in the morning because he discovered that he had married Leah the wild cow and not Rachel the ewe. Laban had lied to him. Of course, it never dawned on him, he had lied to Esau. So it was coming home to hurt him. He worked another seven years for Rachel the ewe, He was able to marry her shortly after this other thing. But he had to stay in line with his father-in-law for seven more years. The graceful sheep, the beautiful-eyed wife Rachel was worth it to him. So he had two wives, not one. In order to gain Rachel, Jacob became an indentured servant to Laban to marry his two daughters. Rachel, the ewe, and Leah, the wild cow. Jacob also had children through Rachel and Leah's respective maids, Billa and Zilpah. So it gets real complicated in this family system. They were gifts to him as concubines. And these concubines was part of the way they worked back then. We don't approve of that. But let's be careful not to put our day and our understandings, enlightened as it is from Scripture, into their experiences. They're not judged by our present understandings. They're judged by where they were at as God was leading them in their time. So it was not our time, it was their time, and we should be very careful to not try and reinvent the past and change our history because we have certain feelings today. Jacob had 12 sons like Abraham did in his second marriage to Keturah and one daughter named Dina. As I said, the Midrashic Jewish rabbis would have us believe that Dina's daughter, because of the rape of Shechem, was sent to Egypt to become Joseph's wife, Asenath, by the providence of God. There is strong evidence to suggest that they are right. But you can't prove it, at least not yet. It's something worthy of future study. Joseph's father Jacob was a mama's boy while his brother Esau was a man's man. A hunter and mighty man of sorts who knocked the deer down in the field and brought the meat home to daddy's joy around this time. Now I have a son who's a hunter. Remember one day, he got a bow and arrow. And he went out, and he says, Dad, I want to go hunting. He got a hunting license. And he went out, and right behind the church where we live was this big deer, an eight-pointer. He took his bow and arrow... He nailed the deer, he put it on his car, drove it home, bleeding. I mean, my neighbors were looking at me, what has happened at the pastor's house? It was horrific. I mean, my son was almost like Esau in that capacity to do this. You know, if you're really hard on your boys for that kind of thing, they may not end up being boys. So I've taken the position to be careful and not to be critical. I don't like going hunting with my sons. When my son Donald and Joe Michael took me hunting and they stopped the deer, I said, oh, I feel sorry for the deer. Dad, don't be a wimp. You know? And I said, No, wimp, I'm compassionate. I care about the. I taught you to go fishing so you could take the hook out of the mouth and throw the thing back. He says, Dad, we've moved on to greater things. (laughs) Now, look, I mean, they came up with all these good excuses. Like, we'll give them to the homeless. Yeah, okay. Isaac loved Esau, the hunter. And the other side is Rebecca loved Jacob, who was mama's boy. Look at Genesis 25, 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. We call that a dysfunctional family. They should have loved them both a whole lot. Both parents should have been involved in both children's lives. Esau needed his mother just as much as Jacob needed his father. Young men need a father figure. If they don't have a father, they need a father figure. It's a fact. For a mentor, I grew up, my father left my mother at an early age, but I had a father figure in my life. That father figure mentor made a huge difference for me. So young men need that to develop their God-given masculinity. And they need their mother to teach them to be kind and be empathetic and loving with their masculinity in check. When I was younger, I found myself... Really, probably not being too far on the masculine scale as a man. I have grown in this capacity, especially in having my sons. My son, John Michael, turned to me when he was just a young boy. He says, Dad, you said you went fishing, did all these fun things as a kid. You never take me fishing. You're just a busy bastard going through the throes of life and ignoring me. And then he said, I hate you. I said, well, I'll take you fishing this year. I don't believe you. Well, I made it up to him that year, and now he believes me. But it's a really awakening for me that fathers and sons need to get out and do things together. And they need to be things that are manly and enjoy those things together. And you always wanted to play a violin. I got my two boys, bought them violin lessons. And I had a teacher trying to teach them. And every time my son took the violin bow, he'd pull it back like it was a bow and arrow bow. And the teacher says, these boys are hopeless. You can't teach the music. Well, they got familiar with the bow and violin, so they used the crossbow and the compound bow in real life. I have boys better men they also need their mother though to teach them to be kind empathetic and loving with their masculinity in check see masculinity that's not in check is dangerous masculinity that is buffered by the empathetic qualities of a good mother is fine-tuned for noble excellence my wife has provided that for my boys When that happens, when that mix is right, where both parents are involved in their children's lives, or mentors who take the place of the parents, either a mother-mentor figure or a father-mentor figure, if there's a gap, but when that comes together, you have good sons who go far, good daughters also, because they are men and women of God. And now, as for the boys, with the much-needed virtue of mercy and compassion and strength, the good son will have empathy and strength. Esau was decimated by the lie that stole his birthright. He didn't imagine that his brother would do that to him. When Jacob fled from his brother Esau, he never felt he could ever go home again and be safe because he knew about his brother's hunting skills. His brother was named Edom as well as Esau. Edom means red. His brother was a red-hot, angry man with him now. And if he ever got his hands on his brother, he was going to kill him. And you can understand why. Jacob had tricked his father, who was blind, into blessing him first using the lie that he was Esau. You know, mama's boy used mama's lie to get his brother's future transferred to him. And when Esau showed up, the birthright was gone. It had been given. You can't withdraw a prophet's words once they have been spoken. Isaac was a prophet. The blind old father, Isaac, sees metaphorically, so to speak. Jacob again, just before Jacob flees for his life to Haran, and he promises Jacob the deeper blessing of Abraham, that is the messianic blessing, most precious, that only God can give. He stole the birthright, but he could not steal the blessing. It must be given. Look at verse 1, Genesis 28, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him. You shall not marry one of the Canaanite women. Arise, go to your to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel your mother's father, and take his wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you. I like that part. God Almighty bless you.
2: Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there. For the first portion of Joseph's Father, join us again next time when we conclude this message. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart.